Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Luke chapter 10, verses 36 and 37. Hey everybody, I'm Chris Dowd. And I'm Reagan Gilliland. And this is Off Script, a podcast where every week we take a deeper dive on last Sunday's sermon, talk about the theology behind it, and get a chance to discuss the parts that did not make it in the sermon, ended up on the cutting room floor. And we are starting a new sermon series today, and it's uh, from Luke's yep. Gospel. Working title was Luke's Greatest Hits. Communication is like, man, that sounds like an album. So it's now the moral <laughs> of the story. Right? I mean, basically. Like one of those like late night gospel hits albums. Exactly. So What's it, wrong with those? I like those. <laughs> I used to fall asleep watching TV and wake up to those way uh, too loud. Wow, okay. <laughs> As a kid, you know what I mean? Huh. And that's the moral of the story. <laughs> Why didn't you end your sermon like that? You should have. I did mention, I did work in moral of the story. At you the did. End. So the series title is The Moral of the Story, and I am getting unnecessary grief about my particular title. I know. <laughs> Which was, As If. <laughs> <laughs> And it was not pronounced like that. It was so in my head. I uh, I didn't realize. I, I, I mean, I've seen Clueless. I didn't realize that was. Oh, you did that not knowing? I didn't know. Oh, my gosh. I thought As that was the joke. <laughs> and then the first time, that the first draft of the uh, that you sent me of the uh-huh. um, bulletin, <laughs> it said the moral of the story, colon, as if. As if. Like, that sounded sarcastic all of a sudden. Yeah. So I thought it, anyway, was. No, it was. That's hilarious. I was playing it straight. Have you since watched Clueless? No, no, not over the weekend. Oh, okay. <laughs> Were you busy or something? I mean, it was uh, a three-day weekend. Yeah, come on yeah. now. Uh, we had our fantasy draft. Don't <laughs> oh, even get me started on fantasy. Oh, I forgot oh, gosh, about no. it. Let's not. Let's just move on. Mm-hmm. Move on. Yeah. Move on. Dangerous, not even get it. Danger territory. Mm, nope. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about how did we land on Luke? Is it lectionary? Tell our listeners. Is that a leading question? Kind like of. That's a leading question. Yes. <laughs> so this is Luke's year, and there are, if you've done a Bible study with me, you've heard me say this before, and I've probably said it in sermons as well, but um, Luke is our greatest storyteller, and there are all kinds of stories that are unique to Luke, um, some of which we naturally highlight, like the Christmas story and uh, Acts, but that's, I mean, the you know, the Pentecost, but that's the beginning of Acts, which was also written by Luke. But then there are also just these stories that are that are unique, like the one we preached on Sunday, the Good Samaritan, the one we're going to do in the coming weeks, the Prodigal Son, Zacchaeus, uh, unique to Luke, and then several that we're going to do during stewardship. The discipline of the lectionary is to keep preachers from only preaching on their hobby horses. And so it's good if we're preaching on a gospel text, in my opinion, to be in the gospel for that year. The exception is John, because there's three lectionary years, and then John's kind of sprinkled throughout. But uh, it's good to, to give those to gospel authors their due, I think. And so um, just the way the rest of the calendar fell for the year, we never ended up preaching on the Good Samaritan. And I went back and looked, and I've only ever preached on the Good Samaritan once before. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. I know. Hmm. I know. It's a great story. Kind of a common, well-known story. Yeah. I mean, I've taught it a bunch of times. Yeah. And probably alluded to it a few times. For sure but only actually ever preached on it once, so. So, yeah, so with these stories, is there any, I did not put this in the questions, so sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but um, this, since these are only found in Luke, is there any, like, scholars reasoning why they think, or is, does or do some people think, I don't know, is there, are they less 
valid or important if they're only mentioned once. I don't know if hmm. you ever come across anything like that. No. So, I mean, this is the two-source theory of biblical scholarship. So Mark, we know, was written first. Mm-hmm. We know that Luke and Matthew both had Mark in front of them. And, and one of the ways that you do biblical analysis is to look and see how Luke or Matthew changed what's in Mark, how much what they left out, what they altered in, in particular stories. Then they share some material that's um, from a common source, and then they each have material that's unique to them. So like, for instance, the story of the Magi is only in Matthew, and then obviously Good Samaritan and a bunch of other stories are only in Luke. So typically what you would do is look at those stories that are unique to that particular gospel author and get a sense of what theological emphases that author was particularly um, wanting to talk about. So for Luke, it's, there's a lot about an emphasis on, on the poor, like on our responsibilities to one another. In Matthew, there's a lot of teaching, a lot more than a lot of commandments and stuff like that in Matthew. Just reflects their interests. Yeah. yeah. Did, so did Luke have a particular audience? So it depends on which scholar you read, but a lot of people think that Luke was writing to a Gentile Christian audience that was probably not economically privileged. So this emphasis, like for instance, and a, a great example is in the Beatitudes in Matthew, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In the Sermon on the Plain, which is the equivalent in Luke, he says, blessed are the poor. Just no, no spiritualizing of it. A lot of the, like the Magnificat that Mary sang, Mary's song at the, uh, during the, in the birth narrative is very much about this theme of overturning, the last mm-hmm. will be first, the first should be last. So um, I mean, we can infer from that that he, he was probably writing to an audience for whom that would be particularly comforting, which isn't to say, like, uh, nobody should get confused and think, well, Jesus, just because it's only Luke, Jesus didn't say it. It's not like yeah. that. It's just that, you know, in a lifetime, a person says a bunch of different things. And some of it may be um, themes of Jesus' writing that were not embellished, but maybe added or emphasized differently in Luke than in Matthew. Okay, that's helpful. You open up your sermon and you talk about this book called Night mm-hmm. that you read. And so you read a lot of historical. <laughs> so what are some of your favorite ones besides Night, some other highlights? Um I mean, I just love history in general, and I was a I was a poli sci major in college. That book was actually an assigned book, but it was not in my poli sci major. So there's a, there's a um, a course, or there was a long time ago, twenty five years ago. Gosh, mm. thirty years ago. I was like, I just years I ago. just had my twenty year high school reunion. Right? Thirty. So. I graduated thirty years ago. Ooh. Yeah, this would be then thirty three years ago. Okay. Uh, my sophomore year. If you were in the College of Arts and Letters then you were required to take a course called the core course. And the core course was a small group that met like in not classroom settings, like it was just more informal settings all over campus. 12 people, something like that, 10 to 12 people assigned to a random professor. Mm-hmm. It was such a great course. And and you would we just did a sample of literature. So over the course of that year, we read The Unbearable Lightness of Being. We read My Antonia, which is one of my favorite novels. I'm actually rereading that one now. Mostly, it was mostly fiction. Okay. And then... Night was in there. Okay. So it was, it was an assigned text. Most of the non-historical stuff I read now is biography. I love histor- biographies of historical figures. And I've kind of been in this revolutionary kick. So I just finished Hamilton, rereading Hamilton, George Washington, started listening to one on Ben Franklin. I put that one down. So that's kind of what I like the most. But the, in this particular case, Night was assigned reading. Okay. 
and made me want I went home and talked to Scott always asked me what did Chris preach about yeah. and like 10% of the time I'm like okay I remember <laughs> what he's never said. yeah <laughs> hear that Ashley she's throwing shade over here <laughs> shade jar shade jar Ooh, oh. do we oh. need a sarcasm jar and a shade jar? Oh, I would just have to put drug deposit from my paycheck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would not bring home any money. No, but I was like, well, I, I said, well, Chris referenced this, you know, and I just kind of briefly, and he's like, oh, night? I was like, okay, mister, I know everything. <laughs> sure, but he knew. Um, it's good. It was on uh, Oprah's book. It was Oprah's book of the year when, mm. not that long ago. Oh, okay. That's um, probably how he heard about it. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? He was an English major, so he read a lot, although he never really finished any books in, in college. Interesting. He's, yeah. And there, or there's random books. He's like, oh, I've never read that. Like, He's more of a starter than a finisher? Oh, for, oh for sure. Really? And, Gosh, once I start one, I just have to finish it. And then there's like books that, he, like, I'm like, how have you never read? I want to say like he's never read To Kill a Mockingbird. Like random, like, uh, how did you get yeah. through school and not Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Anyway, back to you. Okay. Okay. So you talk about, uh, you bring this up with, with the book, with Night and stuff, um, that you talk about blessings and the responsibility we have. Um, has this become more heavy in your in your heart kind of in, the, in recent years? What events have shaped you? They're like, oh, I'll, you know, I'm privileged, I've blessed. Because you talk about, you said you've realized how blessed you are to be born where you were at the time yeah. in the family. So talk about maybe your journey the last few years. That's a really good question. So, okay, let's just talk about this Nazi thing for a minute. Okay. So, um, since Charlottesville, which was in, mm-hmm. what year was Charlottesville? 17, something like that? Like, it, the past few years have seen a disturbing rise in anti-Semitism. So, attacks on mosques, the whole, you know, people marching through the streets with torches and mm-hmm. swastikas of all things. And I really kind of assumed that we had settled that debate a long time ago. Yeah. That think, Nazis are bad. I think, yeah. Right? Yeah. So the fact that they're, like, Stonebridge United Methodist Church, right up there, you saw over the weekend they had another. Yeah, yeah. So, like, their, their swastika is being painted on Methodist churches. Yeah. So mm. I would say that, um, you know, pick your, pick your subject, in this case, just kind of blatant racism uh, and anti-Semitism. It's not as though we, we live in an era where that stuff is done with. We don't. And uh, there's a, there is a, a darkness. I mean, we're going to get theological here. Darkness do it. In, the, in all of us, yeah. right? And the question is, what do you pursue? So um, if you pursue righteousness and the will of God, then that does then demand of you to condemn <laughs> evil. Mm-hmm. Oppression, e- evil injustice, and oppression, whatever forms they present themselves as, with the baptism, yeah, uh, b- b- baptismal vows say. So, um, you know, like the war in Ukraine has been an, an event this year where you've seen just this awful, I mean, just war crimes on display. Mm-hmm. In the post nine eleven era, this ant, this open hostility to all Muslims as opposed to those who are, are are terrorists or you know extremists. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess every generation. Um, has its own battle to fight. I, and the sad thing is, you know, when I read Night in 1989, I surely read that as a historical piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that there are just blatant, there are just people who hate Jewish people because they're Jewish still today mm-hmm. uh, is disturbing. And so the point that Ellie Wiesel makes in Night, or actually really in his acceptance speech, is what for the Nobel Peace Prize, which I quoted. I yeah. didn't quote the book, but 
um, that we don't <laughs> silence benefits the oppressor and never the oppressed ever. Yeah. And so those of us who have power, influence, privilege are expected by God to use our power for good. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the way I would answer that. Okay. Would you agree that you talk about taking sides? And mm-hmm. I think a lot of a lot of listeners, including myself, that's kind of been a, a journey for me is taking a side because we feel like, oh, no, we're supposed to be the peacemakers. We're supposed to be more neutral. And maybe that... We being clergy or we being people? Being people, especially Christians. Like, right. oh, Blessed we got to... peacemakers. Right. right. Yeah. And so, and maybe because we've taken pieces of scripture and like, okay, no, we're supposed to be peaceful. And we forget about all these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like... Yeah, yeah. But peace in that sense is not the absence of conflict. Peace is okay. the presence of justice. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Right. I mean, shalom is not everybody being nice to each other. Shalom, mm-hmm. is, and I'm talking about the Hebrew word for peace, is a, uh, a state of wholeness. And that can only happen when there's the presence of God's justice. Okay. I am not a conflict and averse person by nature. <laughs> I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I've never been uncomfortable with the notion. I mean, yeah, Jesus gathered the little children in his arms. He also mm-hmm. flipped over the mm-hmm. money changer tables in the temple. I mean, there's, it's both and. Mm-hmm. And so um, I do think we have to take sides on the side God would be on. The tricky thing is, I think sometimes people get confused by what side that would be. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. If you read the Gospels, <laughs> if you read the Old Testament, if you read the Bible, right, God is clearly on the side of, I almost put it this way, of the underdog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a little trite, mm-hmm. so I didn't go with that direction. But it's the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the stranger. It's the sinner, the prostitute, the tax collector. We often fall into the trap of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the gods on the side of the super religious folk. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, God wants us to be faithful and, and you know, be all in for our faith and yeah. religion, I think. But those weren't the folks Jesus was cozying up to. Mm-hmm. In fact, those were the folks that Jesus was challenging <laughs> to get on the right side of these issues. Because the, the, uh, the temptation for all of human history is for those with power to care most about power and uh, comfort and uh, hanging out with other people just like them. Uh, you know, and I'm not casting aspersions here. I think that's just human nature. And so I think it's just good to remind ourselves whenever we get a chance that, I mean, that with power comes responsibility. It's, like it's a consistent theme of my own teaching and preaching and, and the thing I try to do better all the time because mm-hmm. it's not easy. Yeah. I think where people maybe get scared is, okay, if I take sides, I mean, you can still be, you can still be kind about the way you do that. It doesn't mean like, let's say like there's some issue, not everyone's going to go march and protest, right. but like you can write a letter or call a representative. And like, there's things to do that are refusing to let the, what those in power make, you know? And I think people just get really skittish about, well, I can't do that. Well, good. No, you can't because you have a responsibility, but there's a there's an extreme way to go about things, and there's a, <laughs> you know, yeah. and so I guess the encouragement that I was hearing from your sermon was like, no, we are we are called to this work, and you didn't get berate them with, this is how you do it, this is how you live it out. I think it was like, okay, however that looks like for right. you, you should do it. And so I thought it was a it was a good challenge without going through a little litany mm-hmm. of things. So I appreciated yeah, that. Thanks. Um. 
Okay, so how does this all kind of connect to the Good Samaritan story? Because that was yeah. the text we did. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think there's more going on in that Good Samaritan story than just help the person lying hurt on the side of the road. And the benediction, I kind of wrapped that up in the, the last service for sure, second, middle service too. Um, there's a lot going on there. Like it's the priest and the Levite who should have known better, who should have known that their responsibility was to help others, to, to love their neighbor chose not to. And we can get into historical context. Well, it would have been dangerous to do that. Okay, fine. It would have been, there would have been some issues with being ritually unclean or whatever. Okay, mm-hmm. Sure. But Jesus didn't make those excuses for him in, mm-hmm. the, in the story, right? I think sometimes we make those excuses for them because we want to feel better about the times mm-hmm. that we don't help other people. Yeah. yeah. Now, again, I'm not trying to be high-handed here. Like, uh, dark and rainy night on the side of a country road somebody's broke down mm-hmm. I mean like I don't want my wife stopping to help them call somebody to help right in some cases I wouldn't stop to help them. so I'm, I'm not saying that this is easy yeah, right and I'm not trying to judge people who 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 go down the path of the priest and the Levite but I'm saying that the commandment at the end of this story is pretty clear Jesus is saying be like that good Samaritan that that so-and-so that you probably hate what do you know? He did the right thing. Be like that guy. Yeah. And, the, and part of the genius of this story, because we could do a whole series on this story, he subtly changes the question on the lawyer, right? The lawyer says, who's my neighbor? Mm-hmm. Objectifies the person needing help. Mm-hmm. I mean, how common is that? Objectifying the person needing help. Yeah. Right? Lots of people do that. But then he says, no, no, don't worry about it that person so much worry about what you <laughs> who are you going to be a neighbor to he points it back to the lawyer and um I, I would love to have some more information about what the lawyer thought about that and again the lawyer uh, i said this in the sermon the lawyer is not an attorney the lawyer is a, re- a religious scholar who should know who, who knows the law who knows his responsibilities to the widow the orphan the poor and the stranger uh and who still struggles <laughs> i mean i always read that question who's my neighbor kind of like uh who do I not have to? Mm-hmm. Who do I not have to care about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So keep reading those names, and then I get them like, okay, good. I don't have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like in other words, what I'm saying here is that this is a this is a parable about mercy, but I do think there's a justice theme underneath it, and those are mm-hmm. two different concepts. Mercy is how do I help somebody, like with money or mm-hmm. food or clothing or whatever, and then the justice question is, why is that person hungry or yeah. naked or hurting? Wasn't it, was it, is it Desmond Tutu has a quote like that about like? Dorothy Day has a really provocative one. She said, uh, when I help people who are hungry, they call me a saint. <laughs> now this is going to be super politicized. I'm, I'm, this is a historical mm-hmm. quote okay. and I'm paraphrasing. When I help somebody who's hungry, they call me a saint. When I ask why they're hungry, they call me a communist. Mm. Yeah. Now, that's reflective of her particular era. Right, I mean, right, Red right, Scare. Right, right, right. And, I mean, that was a very different time. Yeah. But that was her perception. Like, the, the mercy questions are welcomed. The justice questions are, mm-hmm. are suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, yeah, I've heard of the more recent. It's like, these people are drowning, so I give them a life. But, like, I don't go upstream to see, like, why are these people jumping in? Right. Why they, mm-hmm. You know? Why, yeah. Who's pushing them in? Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Oh, man. But I think there's both going on in this, in this parable. I really do. Mm-hmm. And I think, but I, I don't. I don't think we often read that read it that way. I think we often read it as the moral of the story being help somebody who needs help. Mm-hmm. 
But there's more going on because of the introduction of the of the Samaritan, mm-hmm. <laughs> who was the person that no one liked in his context. Yeah. And, by the way, who didn't like him, right? Because just a few verses before, he and his disciples were going through Samaria, and they didn't help him. Yeah. And the uh, the disciples were like, oh, you want us to rain down thunder? And, yeah. And he's like, ah, that won't be necessary. Let's just go. <laughs> Let's yeah. just get on our way. Yeah. The disciples were like, burn them. Let's get them. And then Jesus is like, no, we're not going to do that. And that's, I mean... So that if you were reading the gospel start to finish, uh-huh. you would already have that, oh, a Samaritan. What? Yeah, not welcome. One of those guys be good. Especially because hospitality just in general was like so big then. Well, it was so, required. So it was not, required for survival in the ancient Near East. So like you didn't welcome someone that's a, that's a bad no-no. Yeah, the whole, the whole region of Samaria was mean to them, but that didn't keep Jesus from lifting up somebody from Samaria as the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. That's really radical. Yeah. It's not just the mercy stuff that's going on here. Justice, again, that's a word that can be hard for people, too, because, well, what does that mean? Or I, don't, I, I shouldn't get involved with justice. Like, no, oh, no. My goodness. It's pretty clear. Yeah. What does the Lord require of you? Mm-hmm. What's the very first one? To do justice. Mm-hmm. To love kindness mm-hmm. and to walk humbly with you guys. I'm my green stole. I wear it every week. It's my favorite verse, Micah 6, 8. Yeah. What does the Lord not request of you, mm-hmm. <laughs> not so if, suggest of you? If you have time. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice yeah. and love mercy or kindness? So not just, not just being merciful, but love being merciful and walking humbly with your God. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's pretty foundational, obviously, to just being a Christian, but like that's our, John Wesley was very big about that. Like, yes, yes, Wesley. Yes, Wesley cared very much about justice. Yeah, and I think we often forget that, like that's in our DNA. Um, that's part of who we are. Yeah, and we're like, oh, it's just recent. People are really obsessed with with doing justice. And I'm like the social justice warrior thing, all that I'm nonsense. Like, no. I mean, look, it, I mean, this is the the downside of everything in our society being hyper politicized. Mm-hmm. This should not be a political thing. If you are a very conservative Methodist or a very liberal Methodist, it doesn't matter. We are part of a tradition that spoke out against slavery before that was something anyone did. A guy who went into the bars to minister to alcoholics when everyone else just wrote them off as sinners. Mm-hmm. This is part of who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is not a recent phenomenon, nor, is it, nor should it be at all political. Yeah. Okay, I want to go back to Luke 9 when um, the disciples say like, oh, we should get, we should get the Samaritans. Like yeah. how, how are we like that at times? I mean, you know, this is, this was not in the sermon again. It was in the benediction. The equivalent for us would be close your eyes and imagine the worst type of human, like the worst group in our highly divided times. I don't think it would be take very long for anyone to come up with that picture. O- opposite sides, <laughs> Right. So Jesus' point in the Good Samaritan is even that guy, even that person, that woman, that man, even, even a member of that group that you think is the worst mm-hmm. uh, has the capacity to do the will of God and, in fact, does the will of God. And, you know, so basically he's telling the Lord to get over himself. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. And then we kind but of— But that's hard, right? It is that's hard. hard. I mean, it is. Pick, pick your person. Mm-hmm. Pick your group. Everybody's got one. Everybody's got that group. That's just the worst. Mm-hmm. Well, they're also fellow children of God, and in many cases, fellow very faithful Christians. And so, that's who—that's th- what this parable would be like. 
So I don't want to name any particular groups, but <laughs> that's what, what Jesus is saying, that group, mm-hmm. even that, even, even they are um, worthy of emulating when they do the right thing. Yeah. And we did say this, but I mean, we we're very good at talking ourselves out of helping, whether it's, well, I don't like that group or I don't have time or I, what I, what I could do is not the impact. I mean, we just, the list goes on mm-hmm. and on. And I think if we would, it's a whole ch- choose to do something rather than nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. Did you have any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, gosh, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but so I've been doing, I mean, I've been doing this for a while, 20 years or whatever. And I, I think no matter how pure your motivation are, it is, your motivations are, um, like compassionate fatigue is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could be doing a collection every week for, as an example, for some disaster or awful thing in the world that needs our, that requires attention. And at some point, if everything's important, nothing's important, unfortunately. The genius of the Good Samaritan story is he's talking about a very personal, like person right in front of you. And there's all kinds of reasons not to. Uh, so in the case of the priest and the Levite, it's because it's not safe. And I, Lord knows I wouldn't advise anybody to do anything they don't consider to be safe. But there are other things you can do to help. You can donate to or you can support a shelter without becoming a shelter in your own house. Mm-hmm. You can know where to refer people mm-hmm. if, if someone's in need and you don't have the capacity to help them with that need. I do think that the um, a couple things, the sheer magnitude of the needs of the world I think is a barrier to people specifically helping mm-hmm. some people. And then there's this phenomenon where, uh, and I'm sure you have, you know this, but uh, there's a famous psychological experiment as a result of an actual case in New York City where um, a woman was being attacked. Have you heard the story? I can't remember the, her I name. I think so. And like 15 people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. late at night heard her being attacked. Mm-hmm. And nobody called the cops because they all assumed somebody else. else would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we do that because of convenience. Sometimes we do it. But sometimes we avoid helping because of fear. Sometimes we help. We avoid helping because of a, a sense of scarcity. Um, there's a lot of reasons that we talk ourselves out of out of helping. But the commandment over and over again, Old Testament to New, is that we don't have that option as the faithful. And so, I, for me, I think each of us has to. First of all, I have a very inclusive view of who belongs to God because it's everybody, <laughs> even the ones you don't think should or do or would or whatever. And then I think we have to do what we can do. There's another part. There's a great story in the gospel about the woman who uh, anoints Jesus' feet with oil. Uh, and I think in Mark's translation, Jesus says, you know, the disciples are griping because she uses the expensive nard or whatever. Yeah. And... Um, he says, knock it off. She has done what she could do. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's a great, like, she's done what she's capable of doing. We're all capable of doing probably more than we realize, but we're all capable of doing something. And so caring enough to figure out what it is we can do to help. Mm. Yeah, no, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't do it all. Can't you know, do I'm it not all. being judgy about that at all. Yeah. But we can all do something. Yeah. And I think going back to that story, like, it is, we get in the habit of, well, someone else will sign up to do that. Someone else will do that. And that's because everyone has that same thought. That's how things um, don't get done. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else uh, on the cutting room floor or things that you wanted to talk about with that story? Well, so this was a, a communion length sermon. Yeah. And so it had to be a little bit shorter. Had you ever heard that LaGuardia story? 
I, I hadn't. Have you heard it? Ashley was under the weather I on was. Sunday. <laughs> um, so the LaGuardia story, Fiorello LaGuardia, married in New York City during the Great Depression, was presiding at um, what's called the police court, which is where they adjudicated minor, um, uh, minor cases. And one cold day during the depths of the Depression, this old man was brought in uh, for stealing a loaf of bread. And he admitted to it, and he said that he stole the bread because his family was starving. And so LaGuardia said, I don't have any, I have no leeway here. The, the law is clear. <laughs> Some legalism there, right? Um, I have to find you $10. There's no exceptions for this. But as he was saying it, he was pulling a $10 bill out of his pocket. He said, here's the money for your fine. Furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where somebody has to steal bread to live. <laughs> and the man walked out of the uh, court that day with $47.50. Mm. What I love about that story is that it, it highlights our collective responsibility. Like mm-hmm. our, I actually, I am called to be my brother's keeper, to use that Genesis language. I'm mm-hmm. not doing, being gender exclusive there. Um, I think I left that one in. There was a couple of other um, stories that I could have put in that I that I cut out. There's just in a similar vein, you know, mm-hmm. about, about our responsibilities to one another. Um, I think for me, of all the parables Jesus taught, like I don't, the, the agrarian par- parables never really did it for me because I'm not, I, like I'm not a country mm-hmm. guy. They, mm-hmm. I mean, I get them intellectually, but they don't have the emotional impact of this one. We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's really kind of a story more than a parable. Parables tend to be those agrarian type stories. But this one and the prodigal are the two kind of, like they're the they're the stories par excellence for me mm-hmm. for Jesus because they talk about my responsibility to other people, and they talk about the the concept the importance the fundamental uh, importance of forgiveness both me in seeking it and gi- giving it to others and then God giving it to me yeah and I think when you combine those two stories out of this gospel with the Christmas story which you know how I feel about that with the, the forgiving of the thief on the cross. I just, this, this gospel is so, so good. And um, so I'm, I'm glad we have stories like this. Yeah. I think that's all I have. I'm excited to keep going. Are you nervous that my week on the prodigal sons going to be better than yours? Or <laughs> We'll make Ashley decide. <laughs> I'll get some pi- some pieces of paper with numbers on them. Yeah. Up in the balcony, I'm like, yeah. what, did I, what did I get today? <laughs> awesome. Okay. I don't have my readers on. What is that number? <laughs> yeah. No, distance is fine. Yeah, I can't yeah, read yeah, close yeah, Wait, was that a burn? A little bit? A little bit. All right. She's not making eye contact. Unbelievable. With me, I think so. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So this coming week, you're preaching on the prodigal son, and you're preaching on the younger son. Yes. And then the week after, I'll be preaching on the prodigal, and I will just have to listen to yours and figure out what needs to be fixed. Yeah. When what it, needs to be. A lot of damage <laughs> control. <laughs> no, I'm going to preach on the, I'm kidding. I'm, pre- I'm going to be preaching on the, probably the older son, but I'll probably mix in some of the, the father stuff in there. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that'll be good. And then uh, we'll wrap it up with Zacchaeus at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. But what else is going on? You, are you teaching something? You got Bible studies starts? Yeah, I st- my Bible study starts on Monday. So we're starting a very good gospel by Lisa Sharon Harper. You can still sign up. Um, that's but, on Monday, and that's mo- for the ladies? For the ladies. And what time? Nine, 9.45 to like 11. On Monday mornings? Yeah. Starting what date? September 12th. The 12th. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, and then a lot of our classes start next week, so you can go to cumc.com slash connect. Yep. You can still sign up for almost all of them. Only one is full. Um, your class kicks off the next Sunday. Yes. Exodus. 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 Mm-hmm. And, uh, all right, all right. 
Anyway. You know who that is? No. Movement of Jeff Do you not know that song? It's Bob Marley. Oh. Oh. Wow. Oh. I do like Bob Marley. I know. Holy cow. Sorry. I just assumed everyone knew that song. I know. Sorry. I guess Taylor Swift has to do a cover for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe she will. On her next album. Uh, but no, it's a good... We've got... Yeah, classes. We've got our Christ United Fair Day. We've got all of our get-to-know classes, you know, are started back up last month and we have those like monthly um when's fair day what's that all about so that's september 25th so we've got games we've got food trucks the pumpkin patch will be open yeah, it'll be uh, so fun and that's after church after, on the after 25th, church yeah. so it'll be hopefully the weather's great yeah i'm really excited for that's it. great Just, it's gonna be a really fun month yeah fantastic all right y'all appreciate you spending some time with us today and we will be back next week with another episode of off script god bless you Thanks for joining us for this episode of Script. It was hosted by Reverend Chris Dowd and Reverend Reagan Gilland. Produced by Ashley Danner as a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministries. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.